Well, good morning. My name is Chad Myers. I'm our Adult Discipleship Director. Glad that you are here. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Welcome graduates. Look sharp, looking very sharp. Glad you are here this morning. Uh, a little bit about me. My wife, Courtney, has been out of the country for two weeks for her 40th birthday experience. Some friends and family uh, donated and put together this trip for her. So um, I've been solo dad for a couple of weeks now. How fitting, we're gonna talk about spiritual warfare today. <laughs> and uh, on a side but serious note, God have mercy and bless all you single parents out there. <clears throat> our, my kids are here today, they showed up, they've had food, they've had shelter, they have clothes, and uh, I think some of them are still Christian, so it's very good, I'm gonna consider it a win. Glad that they're here in church this morning. We are uh, wrapping up our series, If This then that, and um, we are in Ephesians chapter six today. So if you have your Bible, you can look in Ephesians chapter six. I have a question to start us off for our sermon. The question is this, what is your view of life? How do you approach life? What is your view of life? Your view of life will shape how you live your life. So if you don't know your view of life, maybe ask yourself how you're living your life and that will reveal what is your view of life. Let me give you some options to choose from, a little multiple choice. Maybe you can take the Forrest Gump route. Like life is like a box of, right, you never know what you're gonna get. Like it's kind of absurd. Maybe it's a little meaningless. Like it's just random. There's no cohesive narrative that holds everything together. Uh, maybe there's no absolute truth. If, if that is your view of life, then most likely you'll walk in despair. Or maybe you could take a more Plato approach to life. Life is about the pursuit of knowledge. If life is about the pursuit of knowledge, then your approach to life will be like a library. We'll just gather all the information we can. Or perhaps you take a Nietzsche route. Life is like the will to power. If life is about power, then life might be like a Game of Thrones. See what I did there? It may be about amassing and achieving and rising to the top and getting a bunch of stuff and getting titles and whatever that success looks like. Maybe for you, life is like hedonism. Life is pleasure. If life is pleasure, then life will be like a party for you. When is the next good time that I get to have? The Bible really talks about two metaphors of what life is like for God's people here in the world. And one of the dominant ones is this. Life is a battle. Life is a battle. We're engaged in a spiritual battle with a foe and forces that we cannot see. And if life is a battle then prayer looks less like an intercom buzzing for more food and more like a walkie-talkie buzzing for more faithful soldiers. If life is a battle, we leverage our resources not for creature comforts but for kingdom causes. If life is a battle, then we don't take off our armor until the battle is over. If life is a battle, then we need our captain to give us some marching orders. If life is a battle, hear me carefully, then we have an enemy who is bent on destruction and only destruction. I'm gonna tell you a little bit up front that this message unapologetically has a lot in it. 
So it's gonna feel like you're drinking from a fire hydrant, okay? So maybe a little battle strategy for you. Don't try to take all the notes that you can. Don't try to remember everything in your head. Maybe just ask God, God, speak one to two things to me that really resonate with the core of my being and what's going on in my life right now. Just give me those one to two things that are really going on. I would like us to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and if you are willing and able, would you please stand as I read this? It's our primary text today, the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, each one of us, your word for us right now. In Christ's name, amen. We've been in the book of Ephesians. We've talked about if this, then that. We've talked about if we're chosen in chapter one, then we have a purpose. In chapter two, if we're saved by grace, then we're to live grateful. In chapter three, if the gospel's for all, then we must proclaim this mystery to all. In chapter four, if we've been united in the spirit, then we have to live unified with each other. And then last week, Trevor talked about if the light has really come, then we are to walk in the light and that should spill over into our daily life and into our core relationships. And Paul wants to close his letter with something that is very sobering. And he's going to remind his readers in Ephesus and us that if life is a battle, then we have to put on the armor of God. And I just wanna talk about three things for us that Paul mentions in this passage. And the first one is this. If life is a battle, then we need to stand firm in Christ. If life is a battle, then we need to stand firm in Christ. I'm gonna reread some of this passage for us. In verse 10, he says, finally, it's really like furthermore. Furthermore, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's two ways that we typically fall off the cart when it comes to spiritual warfare. We either don't talk about it at all and don't think about it at all and don't pray about it at all, or we only talk about it, we only think about it, and we only pray about it. Everything is spiritual warfare or nothing is spiritual warfare. 
Like that's the two errors we typically make. And sometimes it just depends on your upbringing or the denomination that you're in. And, you know, sometimes we think everything is spiritual warfare. Like my alarm didn't go off, and so I was late for work, and I got in trouble by my boss. So, therefore, a demon came in the middle of the night and turned off my alarm. Right? Perhaps it's more of a user error or something like that. Or, on the other hand, sometimes those conflicts or those challenges that we're engaged in with our core relationships or in our own mind and in our own heart, sometimes there's more to it than just a personality clash. You see, God calls us to be sober and to walk somewhere in the middle of, yes, we're in a battle and we have to take our stand. Our enemy, Paul teaches us three things here. Our enemy is powerful. Stand firm in the Lord. Our enemy is powerful. As the old hymn goes, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. He and his soldiers have been around a lot longer than we have. The Bible calls him the devil, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, our adversary. His tactics are deception, temptation, accusation. He is powerful, and they are wicked. And I say he, but I, I want us to remember that it's, it's them. It's not just the devil. There's underlings. They are powerful. They are wicked. He says the evil in this dark world, in the evil, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, they delight in destruction. There's no mercy. There's no quarter. The demons rejoice when anything in our life goes south. When we give in to temptation and we fall, then they can rejoice over us and point the finger, and some of us know this all too well, the finger of accusation. Ah, look who you are. I can't believe you did that. If you were a real Christian, you would never think that or say that or struggle with that, and he puts his thumb heavy down upon us. Cruelty and wickedness, and thirdly, our enemy is cunning. It says here, the devil's schemes. Old translation says wiles, but that's a pretty soft word. Like, oh, the wiles of the devil. Like, I don't even know what that means. But like schemes here is schemata or military strategy. The devil can play the short game, but the devil loves to play the long game too. Knows us, our weaknesses, our tendencies, our strengths. Knows people around us, knows what, what buttons to push. So Paul says here four times that life is a battle, so we need to stand. Stand firm so that you can stand. Stand therefore. The Bible wants us to be able to stand, but we don't stand in our own strength. Notice what he says. Be strong in the Lord. It's not my authority. I don't come today in my authority. I don't come to you today in my own wisdom. I don't come to you today in my own virtue. I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We live our lives under the authority of the Lord Jesus. This book was written to Ephesus. Now in Acts 19, there's a really fascinating story that took place in Ephesus. There's actually some Jewish priests, some non-Christian Jewish priests who are going around and they are engaging in exorcisms. They're casting out demons. And they had heard of Paul casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And so they are going around and trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And they say in Acts 19 that we cast you out. They're trying to exercise this demon. We cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches in. 
And you know what the demon says to them? I've heard of Paul and I've heard of Jesus. I have no idea who you are. And then the demon hands seven of them an old-fashioned beatdown. And they run away, beaten up and bruised. Acts 19, it's fascinating. Guess where that took place? That took place in Ephesus. Guess what story would have been circulating around as the scripture would have been circulating as well? That. We do not stand in our own authority. We do not live in our own authority. We stand and live our lives and we fight in the Lord's authority. In Matthew 7, they are amazed that Jesus' teaching has authority. In Matthew 8, Jesus shows authority over the winds and the waves. In John 10, he says, I have authority to lay down my life and take it up again. In Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus says this, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore. There's typically two types of Christians when it comes to this. There's Christians who are so self-confident in their own gifts, in their own knowledge, in their own strength, in their own skill sets, in their own wisdom, in their own ego, that they think they can do it and engage in this battle without the help of the Lord. I got it, thank you very much. And on the other hand, there's Christians who are so self-distrustful that they don't think they have anything to contribute to the battle when they fight in the Lord's power. We do not fight based on our own wisdom and our own strength. We surrender that to the Lord's authority. And Paul says here, we're engaged against not earthly powers, but heavenly powers. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We have to continue to say that because it feels like there's so many battles today going on and it's so tempting to think that we battle against flesh and blood. But he says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's an unseen battle. It's an invisible battle. It's not a visible physical battle. We have to remind ourselves that because we're often so tempted to engage in the visible physical battle. But Paul here says the battle we fight determines the weapons we use. The battle we fight determines the weapons we use. We have some battles in our home. Some of the battles that we have in our home is that my son, uh, a long time ago, he made ninja swords out of PVC pipe and pool noodles. Anybody ever make these things or see these things? They're dangerous. They hurt, all right? It's a small PVC pipe, and then you take a pool noodle, and then you put it over that, and then you take duct tape, and you duct tape the heck out of this thing, and he's got like a lot of them sitting in the corner of our garage, and I used to try to battle him with this, these uh, ninja swords, but I can't because it hurts. And I gave up that battle with him a long time ago. I let him go out in the yard with his friends, not his siblings, because that just gets really crazy really fast. And he would love to go out there with his siblings, and some of his siblings would love to go out there with him. Uh, but he battles with his friends out in the yard. And if that's your battle, then that's the weapon you use. Also, I have to share this with you, and I think it's so adorable and so cute that me and my youngest still get in tickle fights. And she says to me sometimes, we don't say tickle fight out loud because that's no fun. We have code words for it. And she says to me sometimes, Dad, we need to go in your room and I need to talk to you. <laughs> and so when she says, Dad, I need to talk to you, I know that that's code word for we're about to have a tickle fight. And so we go in the master bedroom and we get on our big king size bed and I shut the door and we roll around and we giggle and we laugh and we tickle each other. And sometimes she falls off the bed because I push her maybe. 
and I dominate the tickle fight. If you're in a ninja sword fight, then a ninja sword is your weapon. If you're in a tickle fight, then these might be your weapons. But we are in a cosmic battle. We're in a cosmic battle. And I gotta say this to us. I hope it rings true. We're not in a culture war. We're in a cosmic war. We're not in a culture war. We're in a cosmic war. It shows up. We see the fruits of it in the visible physical, but the roots of it are invisible and spiritual. This is what he says, that this demonic realm is in the heavenlies. Now, here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. He's already mentioned the heavenly places. This is a theme through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 3 God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realm. Ephesians 1.20, Christ is already seated in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6, he has raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 3.10, the wisdom of God through the gospel is being made known in the heavenly places. And now in Ephesians 6.12, the heavenly places are also where the sphere of the demonic rests and fights. And when we think about heavens or heavenlies, we so often think up, like, oh, it's just like really high. No, I want us to think near, like alternate dimension. Think less Guardians of the Galaxy and more Chronicles of Narnia, if that helps some of you. Like it's not up there. It's another dimension right here that is always pressing in on this dimension and always tethered to it. The root of the battle is taking place in the invisible spiritual realm. The fruit of the battle shows up in the visible physical realm. We need not be tempted to fight against the fruit that shows up. We need to fight against the root underneath. And how do we get there and how do we do that? We ask God for wisdom and insight. What is the root of this battle going on in my life? What's the root of this battle going on in my career, in my marriage, in our kids' lives, in our friends' lives, in our family? What is going on? What's the root of it? Is it fear? Is it anger? How do we get below this? Is it pain? What do we need to do? We need to get the thing at the root of it and fight that battle. But we don't do it in our own strength. We do it in Christ's. Secondly, if life is a battle, then we need the armor of God. I told you there's a lot coming your way. If life is, we're only on point two. Some of you are already tired, I see it. If life is a battle, then we need the armor of God. He says in 613, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. There's an implied you or y'all here. Therefore, y'all put on the full armor of God. And here's the truth about this. God provides the armor, but he doesn't put it on. God provides the armor, but he doesn't put it on. We're called to put it on. It's our responsibility to get suited up. Maybe you've got a new job and they've given you some type of uniform. And because you've on, you're on this job, you get a certain uniform, and they provide you for the uniform, but it's your responsibility to put it on. This past year, our oldest made varsity the cross at Lexington. 
And when she made, whoop, whoop, when she made varsity, varsity lacrosse there at Lexington, they sent her all of her uniform stuff. And I remember opening it with her right in the, the living room and she was putting all the stuff out. And man, I was like, there was like a jumpsuit. There was like a really sweet jacket. And I was like, I want one. Like that's what happens when my kids get cool clothes or cool shoes. I'm like, I want, I want those. I wish they made those in my size. And so she got this new uniform and it's her responsibility. She's on the team and they provided it. But it's her responsibility to suit up and to wear the proper uniform for the home and away game and to put on whatever uh, suit they were supposed to wear to school that day. God provides the armor, but he doesn't put it on. The other thing that we really see in this armor of God is this. Our weapons are for protection, not pursuit. Our weapons are for protection. There's not a lot of active nature to this going on. It's more defense, protect, stand firm. Trust me, if you don't already know it, the battle's coming your way. It's headed your way. It's been your way. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't need to go look for it. We don't fix our eyes on the devil. We fix our eyes on Jesus. You see? So we don't have to be obsessed with that. We simply know that our weapons that we're putting on are for protection, not pursuit. Now here's, here's an interesting thing that he says here. He says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, the day of evil could happen multiple times in our lives. The day of evil is when all hell breaks loose in our life. Could be our personal life, could be a diagnosis, could be the loss of a loved one, could be something that we ourselves have gotten ourselves into and all hell seems to break loose around us and we can't see straight and we can't think straight. And as one spiritual author says, when we're in this place, we only hear the shriek of our own pain. The day of evil is coming. It could be your marriage is falling apart. It could be anything. It could be you don't get into the school that you wanted to get into or your career just takes a turn that you, you didn't see coming at all. I, I, I venture to say that we will have multiple days of evil throughout the course of our lives. And Paul says, the pressure's coming, the battle's gonna be waged, I want you to not be surprised when it happens, and I want you to stand. Therefore, stand with these pieces of armor. He says, put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. This is a belt that would have kind of held all of these places and, and, and these protections and these weapons together. And I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on each one of these. I encourage you to do your own study on that. He says, put on the belt of truth. The truth is what sets us free. The truth is what guards us. The truth is what protects our minds. The truth is what guides our hearts. There's an absolute truth, which I believe is revealed in the Holy Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And then there's a general truth out there in the world that we can discover through science and other things that, that confirm that confirm this is God's world and God made it and he put beautiful things in it and he put truth out there in the world. So there's absolute truth and there's general truth and it's our job to take that truth and to hide it into our minds and put it into our hearts and to meditate on it. Now here's the tricky thing with truth. It's not the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that we know that sets us free. Jesus said, and you will know the truth and then the truth will set you free. 
When Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in January of 1863, it didn't make its way down to the state of Texas until June 19th, 1865. So for more than a year, those slaves down in Texas were not emancipated. Even though it was true, the knowledge hadn't got there yet, and therefore it couldn't be enacted and activated yet. It's the truth that we know that will set us free. We live in bondage when we don't know the truth. He says, I want you to put on the belt of truth. I want you to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is the breastplate that protects all of our vital organs, our hearts, our lungs, our stomach, our liver, all of that. This is the breastplate of righteousness. This is two things. This is righteousness from God, and this is righteousness for God. This is the righteousness that we couldn't achieve on our own that Christ provides and covers us with and we couldn't earn our way into God's good graces and we couldn't work for it, but he did it on our behalf and he covers us. And then there's this practical working out of the righteousness of God. It's a life that we are trying to live in conformity to who God is and to his standards and to his truths. And this is where we often get into trouble, myself included. When we sin, or when we allow our weaknesses to get the better of us and we give in to temptation, that opens up that breastplate of righteousness for the evil one to come in and to wound us and sometimes for us to wound others. That's that practical sense of walking in the righteousness of Christ. We're not perfect, but we're moving towards faithfulness. And God says, put on my righteousness, and as you do, keep surrendering your life and working out obedience and to keep pursuing a practical daily righteousness. Then he says, have your feet ready with the gospel of peace. Have your feet ready with the gospel of peace. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. Right? This is one of the only active parts. It's be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to advance the good news of the reign of Christ. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have to all who ask. Then he says, shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. So very likely he's dictating this letter to someone to write it to the churches in Ephesus. Now, it's also likely that the, the, the guard that he's chained to does not have a full suit of armor on, but Paul knew exactly what the Roman ar armor would have looked like, and he knew exactly what a Roman shield would look like. Here's the fascinating thing about a Roman shield. It stood about waist high, and it covered the whole body of the Roman soldier, but it was the way that they used it in battle that's really intriguing. They would have kind of two fronts and two lines. And the first front and the first line would kneel down and they would take that shield and they would put it like this and they would stand side by side and they would put their shield side by side so that no sword and no arrow and no spear could get through. And then the second line would come up right behind those on the first line who were kneeling down and they would take their shield and they would put it right over the top of those other shields so that it was too high. It was two shields high so that it could protect the second line. And then as they were marching, if they were marching, the front line would do that and then the, the all of those in the back would take that shield and they would, they would put it over their head and it would form a shell, a protective shell underneath that unit so that any arrows from their enemy would hit that shield 
one of the things that this means for us is that we cannot fight alone. We need each other. We've got to stand with each other. We have to get our shields side by side and we need people who've got our back to put those shields right over top and we need people as we march along to perform a a protective shell over the top of us. They would also dip them in water so when Paul says it would extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one, whenever there were flaming arrows coming at it, it would hit that shield and the wetness would extinguish the fiery darts. Paul says, take up a shield of faith, but your faith does not exist in isolation. It exists in community. We need each other. Lastly, he says, take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Take up the sword of the spirit. The sword can be used both for offensive and defensive purposes, but take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Here is, here's the, the challenge with this. The devil knows the Bible very well. Remember when he tempted Jesus? He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture, but he misused it. And how did Jesus respond? Jesus quoted scripture back in Deuteronomy, and he properly used it. The devil and his demons know the scripture, but they misuse it all the time. The question for us is, do we know the scripture, and will we properly use it? We don't have to be Bible scholars, that's not what I'm saying. We don't have to be able to quote Leviticus. We don't even have to be able to find it maybe in the Bible. It's back there in the Old Testament somewhere. But we're doing our job to try to diligently study the text. Here's the trick of Satan with, with the, the truth, with the scripture. The devil doesn't just tell lies, he tells short truths. The devil doesn't just tell lies, he tells short truths. You say, well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, you may have heard something like this. Something like, oh, well, I'm not enough. So we hear that. We hear I'm not enough. We feel that. We feel I'm not enough. Now, one of the things that people try to do today with that strategy is they try to say, well, that's not true, so I'll just tell myself the truth, which I, is I am enough. I'm not enough. That's not true, that's a lie from the devil. So I'm gonna try to tell myself the opposite, which is true, I am enough. Here's the problem. The first part is actually true. It just doesn't go far enough. We have to say, no, that's true, I'm not enough, but in Jesus, I am enough. You hear this short truth, well, I'm unworthy. And instead of saying, no, 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 that's not true, I'll just replace it with the truth, I'm worthy. No, 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 it's, it is true. It's just a very short truth. And the devil loves to keep us trapped in short truths. Oh my gosh, I'm devastated now because I'm unworthy and I'm not enough and I'm not doing enough for God and my worship is not right and my obedience is not right and I'm not strong enough and I don't have what it takes. Here's the thing, all of those are true. They're just too short. The gospel invites us to go further with the truth. Here's the reality. I didn't get to bring anything to make myself right with God, but I've been given everything through Jesus. And now my worship is acceptable, not because of me, but because it goes through Jesus to the Father. My obedience is acceptable, not because it's perfect, but because it goes through Jesus to the Father. I'm not enough, but in Jesus I am enough. Do you see? Let's not stay trapped in short truths. The question is, do we have faith in the whole truth of scripture? to protect us. Walter Jones, a name that you may not know, you see his picture here on the screen. 
He fought in the Civil War, and this is in a museum. You see a picture of him, and you see uh, is the New Testament what looks like several holes in the New Testament. He fought in two separate battles, one at Cedar Creek, 1864, and one known as Lee's Surrender in 1865. And he was a believer who used to carry his New Testament with him, and he took his New Testament, and guess where he carried it? Right here in his front pocket. And in the first battle, there was a bullet fired at Walter Jones and went right through his uniform and it went right through his New Testament, but it did not pierce his skin. A year later in 1865, he's fighting the battle of Lee's surrender and there was a bullet fired at him right through his uniform, right through his New Testament. It did not pierce his skin. Y'all, literally the Bible saved his life. And when we put our faith in the truth, in the whole truth of God, we can't take the darts of the evil one. We can't take the bullets of the evil one. But God can protect us and the truth can protect us. And he's already taken the bullets on the cross as he let them pierce his skin and lay down his life. He is Christus victor. He won the victory over sin, death, and the devil. When it says he's seated in the heavenly places and we're seated with him, guess what it's saying? It's saying the battle in one sense is already over. He's seated in victory. We're seated with him. So we're seated in victory in the heavenly places as well. And so because of that seating, we can actually now stand. And lastly, if life is a battle, then we must stay alert and keep praying. We must stay alert and keep praying. It says this, and pray on the Spirit, in the Spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers. I love that. You think your prayer life is weird? God says, that's, that's fine, bring it. Like all kinds of prayers, listening prayers, Writing prayers, walking prayers, singing prayers. We just sang an amazing prayer. I gotta admit, I sang it in run through and I had a little cry fest because I was praying for our kids and I was like, Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. I had another cry fest and I was singing it up there with them. But we're singing these prayers. God says, whatever it is, all kinds of prayers, bring it. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Peter says, the enemy, your devil, prowls around like the, a roaring lion, so be on alert. Be watchful, be mindful. Life is a battle. Wake up and keep praying. Keep praying. Keep moving, keep being active. Don't just sit around and pray in fear and anxiety. That's not what we do. That's not what he's saying. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. Let me set it up just a little bit. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's basically a head demon writing to a younger demon on how to basically sabotage this man's life and faith. And so when he says enemy, he's actually talking about God. Here it is. This is one demon to the, to the other. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy, against God. He wants men and women to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Isn't that fantastic? And so very like, disturbingly accurate. God wants us to be concerned with our own responsibility and what we can do and the devil wants us to be afraid of everything that could possibly go wrong and be anxious about all the worst case scenarios 
When's the other shoe gonna drop? Right, what if I lose this? What if this happens? What if I get sick? What if my spouse dies? What if the kids die? What if it doesn't work out? What, all of these things, and maybe it's just me that that crosses my mind, but I have a hunch it's not. The devil wants to keep us locked in fear of everything that could happen to us. Here's the reality, friends. We are in control of very little, very, very little. And God says, this little plot of land that I've given you, the thing that you're in control of, which is a very small thing, I want you to focus on that and take responsibility for that because you can't control everything else. We don't pray with fear or anxiety. We pray with hope and confidence. Why? Because we know the end score. It's like recording a game these days and you know the final score, but you go watch it anyways. It changes your reaction to what happens because you know the outcome. We pray with that type of confidence. There's one last thing I'd like to leave you with. If you're a bit overwhelmed and you're a bit like, man, I, I don't even know where to start. I, what do I, is the belt of righteousness and the breastplate of truth, is it the, what, I don't know which one, what is it? Listen to this, Paul's borrowing from the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 11:5, it says that righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. It's also truthfulness. He's talking about the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 49:2, it says that he made my mouth like a sharpened sword, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. In Isaiah 52, seven, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Isaiah 59, 17, he, God himself, puts on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is my point. The armor God gives is the armor God wears. We are not putting on practices, we are putting on a person. We're clothing ourselves with Jesus. We're clothing ourselves with Christ. So if you can remember nothing about the practices and I've gotta do this and I've gotta do, no, 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 no. We are abiding in Christ, clothing ourselves with his righteousness, his truth, his person, his character, his mind. We're simply finding our identity day in and day out in who he is and what he's done for us. That's how we stand firm in the battle no matter what happens, no matter the day of evil when it comes our way. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this passage. It's a sobering passage. It's a somber passage. It's a real passage. We're so often tempted to try to forget that we're in a battle or forget that we have an opponent to forget that someone hates us and wants our destruction until we're in the midst of the evil day. So remind us, God, to stay alert, to stay awake, to take responsibility for the things that are under our control and to surrender the rest to you and say, God, this is your fight, it's your battle. You've already won it and you're enacting that victory right now. God, forgive us where we've attacked the wrong people. We've looked out at the landscape of social media or politics and we've said, oh, you're my enemy. God, forgive us where we've tried to attack the fruit and not the root. Give us wisdom and insight. Give us passion for prayer so that we might stand firm in Christ and so that he might get the glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.